Uh, tonight we're going to be pouring back into the study on De- Deuteronomy, the second and two parts. So we've covered half of it, we're going to do the other half tonight. We're not doing it by chapters, we're doing it by themes. But first of all, let's revisit our memory verse. And how many remember what the memory verse is? What's the address? Close. Six five. Transpose the number, not a big deal. Uh, And the verse goes how? I heard it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Excellent, excellent. Now, we're going to recap just for a minute things that we talked about last week. In, in this period in time in, in where Moses is speaking to the God's chosen people, where are the people camped at this time? Say it again. Nope, that was Leviticus. This is, this is, yeah, on the plains of Moab, just outside the promised land. Yeah, they're, they're looking across the Jordan. They can see the promised land. And Moses speaks to them again. Where have they been prior to camping here on the, on, the, on the plains of Moab? Where have they been? Yeah, they've been wandering for how long? 40 years. Why have they been wandering for 40 years? What happened? They disobeyed. Yeah, they chose to follow the 10 cowards <laughs> rather than the two faithful spies. Okay, they followed the ten saying, all these people are like giants, we're like grasshoppers, we can't, we can't defeat them. And so they wandered for 40 years. Now, is this, in Deuteronomy, is this a second set of laws that God has given his chosen people? It's a restatement. Jessica's sitting there back there going, mm, no, we, we can count on the legal beagle, or legal eagle, which... Whichever you want to be. <laughs> I, was, I don't know where that came from, Jessica. I apologize. Please forgive me. Um, if that offended you. you know, <laughs> I don't know if that would count as a good apology or not. So we'll go back someplace else. Uh, it's not a second set of laws. It's a revisiting and it's a recounting of the laws that God gave the people 40 years earlier at the base of Mount Sinai through Moses. Now, we, we talked about last week, there was a particular theme that we focused on. Do you remember what that theme was? Okay, that was an aspect of it, yeah. But the, the primary theme was God chose his people. Tonight, the theme we're going to look at is why God's people should choose him. Now, it's important that we did this in the right order because can we choose God before he chooses us? Uh, Everybody do this. Look up. Everybody do this. No, that's not possible. God is the active agent in everything in creation. And so the only way we can choose him on a daily basis is for him to have chosen us first. Okay, so we're talking about why God's people choose him Put that in parentheses, on a daily basis. Okay, so this is not just about, I think I'll be saved today, so I'm going to choose God. Doesn't work that way. Get that straight. Now, the subtitle for tonight's study could easily be, 
And I've thought about this and prayed about this and danced around a little bit. Nobody else could see that though. Um, with his subtitle, but the subtitle is Blessings and Curses. Okay. I, was, I, was reading, I was reading one and I thought I'd remember the name. I didn't write it down. I can't remember. One pastor said, I would never read this passage in Deuteronomy 28 unless I was preaching through Deuteronomy. He said, I would just avoid it. I would avoid it completely because uh, it can be a little dicey if, if you, at times. But we're going to be talking about that tonight. Now, last week I did mention that the, there, there is a fact that God's word speaks clearly of God blessing those who are obedient to him and cursing those who are disobedient to him. So look at a couple of verses tonight. We're going to spend most of our time in Deuteronomy. We're going to be jumping into, into the New Testament a little bit. So go to Deuteronomy and kind of stay in the middle there. But we're going to start in Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 28. Here Moses says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And then Deuteronomy 28, 2. This passage says, And all these blessings shall come upon, upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice, voice of the Lord your God. Now, what blessings is Moses speaking of at this point? Now, you, you have to look when, whenever you're in Scripture. It's one of those things you have to, to look at and say, okay, where's the context? Sometimes when, when God says something, these are the blessings, it's talking about something that's already been said. So you have to back up and go in front of that and see what was said. This case, though, it's what's coming next. And in verses 3 through 14 of Deuteronomy 28... Moses speaks very specifically about the blessings. He said, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open you his, to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all of the works of your hands. Now I want to stop there because there's something in that verse that jumped out at me just 30 minutes ago as I was reading through this again. There's a key element in this. Blessings are not attached to laziness. <laughs> Blessings are not attached to sloth. Okay, this is not someone just kicking back in the recliner and saying, okay, God, I'm obedient, so bless me. And you just, you wait for the blessings. Look what it says there. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless 
all of the work of your hands. So, looking for God's blessings, there's obedience, but there's movement. There's things that we're to do, things that God calls us to do. It's not just about sitting back waiting for God to just pour his blessings out and we're going to be good. It's not that. It's about doing, diligence, being a good steward. Then he goes on, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and shall only go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I will command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So we see the list of the blessings there. But on the other side, we see then the alternative. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, Moses continues, he says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Again, the curses are about to follow. And where you read 12 verses before, to read the curses, you're going to read the next 52 verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing tonight. I'm just going to read some examples because the list is extensive. And some of it is, if you read through it, it's just the opposite. He says, I will, I will curse you in the city. I will curse you in the field. So it, it does the opposite, but then he adds on and it, it goes even more extensively. For example, in, in Deuteronomy 28, 20, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Next verse 21, the Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. That's an opposite statement of what the blessing was earlier about the enemies coming in one way and fleeing seven ways. You will be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Rather than being feared, by all the earth, there will be a horror to all the earth. In verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and the tumors and the scabs and the itch of which you cannot be healed. Verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, in other words, in slavery, while your eyes look on and fail with, and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. Then in verse 68, and I think this is the most grave The Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise that you shall never make again. There you shall offer yourself for slaves, for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, and there will be no buyer. Just imagine being in such dire straits. You have nothing to eat. You have nothing to wear. You have no place to go. You have no place to stay. So you think, the only option I've got is to be a slave. At least I'll get three hots and a cot. And so get up on the auction block. The auctioneer starts with 500, not a bid. 100, no bids. 50, no bids. 10, no bids. A dollar, no bids. A penny, no bids. What then? Utter hopelessness. 
I, I, I kind of tried to put myself in that position. I really couldn't, but it's like, man, that would really be a bad day <laughs> if someone wouldn't even pay a penny for me. But that's what God said would happen. Now, we, we must be wise here. Not just careful, but we have to be wise. When we're looking at blessings and curses, and especially if we're trying to figure out what's going on either in our own life or in someone else's life. We have to be careful to not get into that pit of saying, if you obey God, you will be blessed. If you sin, you'll be punished. Does that sound vaguely familiar from another story in the Bible? Huh? Job, yeah. Come back in October <laughs> if, if we keep the schedule that Scott has set out for us. Um, because I've got, I've, I've been blessed with two nights in October to cover Job. Okay. <laughs> Scott's back there laughing at me. <laughs> so we're, we're going we're gonna to deal with that. But think about the argument that Job's three friends made to him. And, and, and that, that, that's what we're looking at. We need to be warned against this and not fall into that trap. They came to Job with their misunderstanding of God's design because they simply said, a righteous man will prosper, a sinful man will be punished. And so they continued to encourage Job, just repent and God will restore you. That wasn't God's design. God had never said that. That was man-made theology. Okay. Again, we're going we're gonna to continue that discussion in October. So, so we, we come to the question then, are the curses then? Or the evil that touches our life, are those always a result of sin? Now, I, I can't remember which particular sermon in January, because Kendra and I missed three in a row when we were traveling. Think, think, think. I came back from that trip, and I listened to all three sermons in about an 18-hour period. So I don't remember which sermon it was, but it was one of those where Ben pointed out that Jesus answered this very same question when he was asked about a blind man in John 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, now we don't know how old this man was, but think about it this way. If this guy sitting beside the road was blind and he was 35 years old, and, and I, I have no basis for that other than I just made up the number. Okay. But that would be prior to the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So this man born, say for example, 35 years before, and he was born blind. Then Jesus was born some three three and a half years later, two and a half years later, whenever it was. And then, at this particular time, he was sitting by the road, and Jesus walked by. So that Jesus could demonstrate by healing that man of his blindness, the power of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God. That was why he was blind. Wasn't his sin, wasn't his parents' sin so that God's majesty would be so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
Now, Jesus pointed out a very real truth for us to keep in mind as we discuss the truth, and it is true that God blesses his chosen people. Okay, we also know that there's curses. But we need to ask ourselves, is the evil that's touching our life, is it due to sin? Sometimes it is. Take example, a young man who had, who had committed to, his, to, to purity. He had made a purity commitment to God, and he kept it all through high school until his graduation night, and he had a new girlfriend, and they were out doing the graduation party thing, and he compromised his beliefs, and he had sexual relations with his new girlfriend one time. Felt so bad that he recommitted to his purity vows to God, and he maintained those until, until he got married. What he didn't know was that young lady had two previous partners. One of those partners had had multiple partners. One of the women that that guy had had sexual relations with had multiple partners. One of her partners had had physical relationships with a prostitute, and a prostitute will have relations with anybody that has the money. One of her partners was an intravenous intravenous drug user who had AIDS. So he infected the prostitute, she infected the guy, the guy infected the woman, the woman infected the guy, the guy infected the girl that the guy compromised with one time on his graduation night. Three years after graduation, that young man met a lovely young lady in college. They dated for a while, they got married. Um, They loved the Lord, they walked with the Lord. Four years later, she was pregnant with their first child. In the preliminary blood workup, She was found to be HIV positive, had no symptoms, none. She was completely asymptomatic, but she was HIV positive. And she told the doctor, she said, this can't be. She said, I've I've, I've maintained my purity. I've only been with my husband. They checked him. He was HIV positive. As a result of one compromise, then two years later, that young man was dead, his wife was dead, and the newborn baby was dead from AIDS, one compromise. It's a true story. I didn't make that up. So sometimes, yes, the evil that touches our life is a direct result of our sin. Sometimes, though, the evil that touches our life is a direct result of somebody else's sin. On the 10th of November, 1996, there was a family from Ridgecrest Baptist Church that was returning to Greenville from a family reunion in Oklahoma. They stopped in Celeste, got some gasoline, got something to drink. They headed south from Celeste. Before they got to Greenville, they had a head-on collision that killed Georgia Everhart, her daughter Deborah Chick, and granddaughter Taylor Chick. The other daughter, Laurel Chick, had some scratches on her face just from flying glass around the car. Deborah was driving. Was it her sin that caused the wreck? No. There was a man from Leonard, Texas, that for some reason in Greenville that day decided to consume an incredible amount of alcohol and he was driving back to to Leonard. He crossed the center stripe, hit the family head on, killed three of the four in the car. So it was the sin of somebody else that impacted their life and not just their life, but an entire community. I see a couple of heads going, uh, just painful memories of seeing several caskets at the front of of the church at Ridgecrest. It It was heartbreaking. And then, sometimes the evil that touches our life is not personal sin or somebody else's sin, but it's a result of original sin. 
1990, my mentor, um, Bob Hamilton died of a brain tumor. And even though I had talked with Pastor Hamilton on numerous occasions, um, because again, he, he discipled me in counseling. That's how I got started in the counseling ministry that God called me into. Um, and Pastor Hamilton would talk with me about some of the sin issues in his life. But it wasn't his sin that caused the brain tumor. Okay. It, was, it was because we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, they were cast out of a perfect environment they were created to live in, and our bodies just don't work like they're supposed to anymore. In fact, just two months before Pastor Hamilton was diagnosed with a brain tumor, he and I were talking in his study one day, and he, and he was talking about this burden that he had, and he said, Morris, he said, I... I don't know what I, what I need to do next. He said, I can't motivate people to move outside the walls. He said, and he was an incredible teacher. And he said, there are people who just, he said, and there's nothing wrong with learning. He said, but he said, people will, they'll come and they'll learn and they sit and they study and they're growing spiritually. He said, but I can't personally motivate them to get outside the walls. He said, God's either going to have to teach me how to do that or he's going to have to remove me. Two months later, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. You know, wasn't his sin, wasn't anybody else's sin. Ultimately, it was God's design. And then sometimes, as being rightly pointed out, the reason you have a cold is not because you sinned, it's because you stood next to somebody who had a cold, they sneezed, and their germs got on you, and you got a cold. (laughs) Sometimes it's just that simple. It's not about a sin issue. That's linked, obviously, to original sin because there's illness, but it, it doesn't have to go beyond that. Okay, now back to, De- back to Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the curses. I want to consider this question and this point. Did God promise each person who obeys him all of the blessings inclusively? What do you think? Okay, I'm seeing a couple of people going, mm, okay, I don't think so. Because what about the person who lives in the city And God chooses to bless them in the city, but they never go out into the field. Did they miss the field blessing? Huh? Yeah, exactly. So there are, and what about the farmer that's in the field? He gets the field blessing, but he never goes to the city, so he misses out on the city blessing? No. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. I believe that it's a representative list at one level that every blessing that God promised will be evidenced in the people at some, at some level, at some point. Okay? It's a representative list. And it's not an exhaustive list. God's not limited by that list, how he's going to bless people. But it gives us an idea of how he may choose to bless. But then as Jessica rightly pointed out, he was not just talking to the individuals, and the individuals can experience those blessings. He was talking to a people. He was talking to the entire nation. So, Every blessing will be demonstrated or exhibited in the nation at some point at some level. So, the law, so it is an inclusive list, all inclusive, but not just for individuals. Same thing. What about the curses? It's not that if someone is disobedient to God, they can look at those 52 verses and have every one of those curses. It's not that. God may choose to move in some people's lives in some of those ways, yes. But also as a nation, 
the nation would experience all of those curses at some level by some individuals. It would be represented in that. And in addition to that, when the nation was cursed, was everyone cursed? Nobody's heads are moving. Okay. What about the Babylonian exile? Can you think of one person that was blessed during the Babylonian exile? Daniel, thank you. You know, and, and his three friends, okay? So even in that national curse, there's an, there may be individuals who are being obedient to God and they will experience God's blessings in the midst of the curse. See, God is not limited by this, okay? So we, we, need, we need to see truly, honestly, clearly as much as we can. But I really believe... As I, as I read through this, and there was one verse that really jumped out at me, and I want you to look at Deuteronomy 28, 9. There's a verse that really encapsulates the blessings and the curses. I think it's the pinnacle promise. Deuteronomy 28, 9 says, The Lord will establish you as a people, holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep your commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And again, with that pinnacle promise, we can connect the old covenant promise and the new covenant promise to see that nothing has changed in God's promise. It's just that the promise now has been extended from the Hebrew people to the Gentiles, to those in Greenville, Texas, at Cross Point Fellowship, in Hunt County, okay, and all over the world. 1 Peter 2.9, your God says through Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay. And like we said last week, it's not just so that you could be blessed that God called you out of that darkness. It is so that, and I said you, it's we too, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness. So it's not just about receiving the blessings. It's about so that we can work. And our work is what? To proclaim his excellencies. Now, I'm not, I did not say that we're working for our salvation. <laughs> I'm saying that because we're called and because God has revealed himself to us, we can then work and we can proclaim his excellencies. And in that, we're blessed. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was talking about last week that 
You know, prosperity, we would, I would probably all agree that if we were all independently wealthy, that would be a real blessing. You know, if you didn't have to, never, if you didn't have to lift another pot, turn another screw, or dig another ditch, or whatever it is you have to do, sign another piece of paper, we'd think, whoo, what a blessing. Um, prosperity can also be a curse. I've talked to way too many people that were, that had a lot you know what they thought about it not before they went to sleep? How can I get more? Or how can I keep what I've got? You know, that became the most important thing above God. So in that, in that situation, prosperity is a curse. Prosperity could be a blessing if you continue to focus on God and you're obedient to God and you're using what God has gifted you with to bless other people. And, you know, that can be a blessing. In the same light, poverty I think we would all agree, poverty would not be a fun thing. You know, it could feel like a curse. Poverty can also be a blessing. You know, and I remember in 1992 when I went to Guatemala with, with a group from Ridgecrest and Stephen Saraday McKenzie were missionaries down there. But we met this little, I met this little Ketchikil Indian lady that was about four foot nothing, you know, because <laughs> that's, Chuck, you on that trip? You remember that little lady? I mean, you know, she was hugging everybody, and I got down on my knees, and she slapped me on top of the head, you know, because I was so much taller than she was. She was real funny. But this lady lived in a, just a little hut, dirt floor. She kept it swept, so it was hard packed, but it was still dirt. Had a, had a fire in the middle of her, in the middle of the room with a hole in the ceiling so that the smoke would go out. And the McKenzie's were leaving that village and moving to another town, and she gave them her offering, an egg and a katsali, which is a dollar bill. It's the only protein she had probably for two days because she had one chicken. She gave them the egg and the katsali was worth about 25 cents. That's probably one of four that she had for the month. She gave it. You know, she was, she was content and she was blessed in nothing. In comparison to what we would consider, we look at that and go, oh, can you live like that? I mean, that's abject poverty. She was blessed. She loved the Lord. And she blessed other people with what she had. You know, so, you know, from that experience, I thought, okay, bless, you know, prosperity. Poverty could be a blessing. Why? Because she focused on God. As Chuck was talking about, whatever your focus is, whether it's in prosperity or poverty, if your focus is on God, you're going to see the blessing. And you're going to receive the blessing. And you're going to be able to pour out the blessing on other people. So that's what we have to focus on. Now, I want to look at three questions. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, three questions in terms of that God's people should choose him. First of all, what does choosing God look like? First question, what does choosing God look like? Well, according to Scripture in Deuteronomy 4.1, it says, Now, O Israel... Hear or listen to the statutes of the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in peace and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. So Moses speaks clearly that there are two things that God is commanding. What are those? Listen and obey. Can't obey unless you listen, okay? They, They have to be in that order. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.1. 
listening to the commands of God and doing them is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. Let, let, let's, let, let's play parents here for a minute tonight. You go home tonight and you have children, whether you do or not, but pretend that you do. Um, and you walk in, you tell your children, you know, the, the living room's really a mess with all your toys. If, if you feel like it, one of these days, you might consider maybe thinking about possibly putting the toys up, but only if you want to. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I hope nobody does that. <laughs> no, you walk in, you see, and you're like, okay, clean up your toys. It's an imperative. And is obedience expected out of your children? I'm hoping everybody, I'm, I'm seeing some heads like this. I'm not seeing anything like, no. You know, <laughs> some of the teenagers are going, <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you guys away. But it's that row right over there. <laughs> Just teasing, just teasing. All right. We expect obedience. And, and in counseling parents and, and families and children, I find myself many times going over this. It's a real simple three-part principle about obedience. It's simple, but then you, you make the application. It can make some big differences in the way things are run. Obedience, I, I believe, is three things. First of all, obedience has to be immediate. It's not... In a minute, Dad. Let me finish this, Mom. I'll do it tomorrow. I got other things to do. No. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So first of all, obedience needs to be immediate. That means right now. Secondly, obedience needs to be complete. And it needs to be as complete as the person is capable of doing. And that varies from person to person and age of the child. If you have a three-year-old and the, the floor is covered, you can't see the floor in their bedroom, and you say, all right, daughter, I need you to go. I want you, I want you to go clean up your room. And they go and they work for about 20 minutes, and they've got a pathway between the door and the bed. That may be for them a completion of a task, and you, just, you, you need to celebrate that. Good job! And you're thinking... <laughs> <laughs> where all these toys come from but, but you celebrate that now if you've got a 14 year old and the dirty clothes are piled up to the knees and you say I need you to do that and they make a pathway between the bed and the, the door I would say that's not completion <laughs> um, they should be able to do better than that so you, you consider the individual and what they're capable of and you encourage them to succeed. Okay. The third thing that obedience has to be, and this, this can be the tough one sometimes, obedience has to be cheerful. Okay. Because you can, you can shape and mold attitudes just as easily as you can behaviors. Okay. So if they're doing what you have if they're, if they're obedient to the imperative that you've given them, but they're slamming doors, kicking drawers, slapping little brother, punching big sister, <laughs> those kind of things are going on, I would say that's not the face of obedience. Even if they're doing what they're doing, the, the, the attitude is not right, okay? Um, so it, it needs to be worked on. Okay, now, the second question, uh, so the first thing is, 
What does choosing God look like? It looks like obedience. Okay. Being obedient to God. That's, that's what choosing God looks like. The second question, what kind of choice is it? Well, honestly, it's a personal choice. It's a personal choice on two levels. One, I have to be the one that chooses to be obedient to God. Kendra cannot choose for Morris to be obedient. Okay? Morris cannot choose for Scott to be obedient. It's got to be a personal choice. Even though my choice will impact my life specifically, it impacts other people's lives around me as well. But it starts with a very personal choice. Secondly, it's a personal choice because God takes the choosing very, very personally. Keep in mind, God is a personal God. Tells us in Scripture, and and this came to mind, I can't remember the address, but it says that we are God's desire, which really boggles my mind because I know the mess that I am. But we are God's desire. He wants that relationship. He desires that relationship. And so he takes our choice very personally. And he takes it very personally when I choose to bow down to another God. Small g-o-d. He takes that very personally. Obedience is the essence of trusting God. Disobedience is the essence of not trusting in God. Not trusting in God means that I'm putting something else ahead of God, which is called idolatry. If you want to see what happens to idolaters, read chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Dealing with idolatry, according to the 13th chapter in Deuteronomy, is dealt with swiftly and severely. It ends in death. It's not a slap on the hand death okay so choosing God is a very personal choice thirdly what implications does your choice have beyond you now for God's chosen people so many years ago Moses made it quite clear that their choice to follow God had global implications in Deuteronomy 225 Moses said, this day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Global implications. In Deuteronomy eleven twenty five, no one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. However, They chose to be disobedient and their choice would then have grave implications for them as a people as well. And again, we look at uh, Deuteronomy 28, verses 16 through 68. But the bottom line here, well, in in 28, verse 15, but if you do not obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Bottom line, We have a choice. We have a choice on a day-by-day basis. We can either choose death or we can choose life. We are called to choose life. 
Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And we see in the new covenant, Jesus himself spoke these words in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Bottom line, Deuteronomy, choose life. Be obedient to God. Walk in his statutes. Choosing life involves choosing God. Choosing life involves being obedient to God. Choosing life involves trusting God. There we have it. Two themes in Deuteronomy. God chooses his people. After he chooses his people, then on a day-by-day basis, we choose God. We do that, and we have life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that you speak of what we are to do. And on a day-by-day basis, because of the fact that you chose us, we can then choose you. Choosing you means that we're going to walk in obedience. We're going to walk in your light, not in the darkness. We're going to walk recognizing and honoring you as God rather than looking to other things of the world and worshiping things of the world. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the fact that you have chosen us so that we can proclaim the excellencies of your glory. Father, I pray for each person here tonight and I pray for each family represented that you will go with us tonight and help us walk in that truth this week. And not just this week, but for the rest of our lives. To be a people who who are about choosing you. Father, I thank you again for loving us. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into the truth of your word. Father, I pray that you help us be grounded in that truth, to hear that truth, and to walk in that truth. Pray protection over each one here tonight. Be with us as we leave this place and go to our homes. Father, help us have a blessed week. Help us then bless others around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.